Uh, I was reasonably insecure. I'm only moderately insecure now, but I was quite insecure growing up. Uh, lots of things working against me. We were talking about this with some friends we had over last night. I was never the most manly of men. I realize that's changed dramatically now, and I'm super masculine. But I wasn't really a rugby player. I did ballroom dancing, um, which everybody thought was extremely um, not a thing that straight men do until the school formal rolled around and then all the girls want to dance with you because you know what you're doing, right? So, so, so boys, if you're at school or if you're at high school, learn to ballroom dance. It'll pay off in the end. Um, but, you know, I just, there were lots of things. I had more female friends than male friends. I had all these different things going on. I wave pink flags, apparently. Um, and so I was reasonably insecure about myself, which is funny because my name, Shannon Peter Barnett, means peaceful and secure. So sometimes you've got to grow into what's been prophesied over you, right? And that, that's actually the end of my sermon at the beginning. So we'll start there, right? Sometimes you have to grow into. And in fact, let's start then, therefore, with that verse, uh, Bo, the very last one I gave you. No, sorry, second to last. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. <laughs> this is a good one. So really do something. Uh, oh, can, I, can you get 28 as well? Thanks. Oh, well, I, I was doing really well. I gave them all to him this morning ahead of time, and I was like, yes, got them all written down. <laughs> this one will be really encouraging to you. No, it's not it either. Don't worry. It's just verse 27. It says this, In that day the Lord will end the bondage of his people. He will break the yoke of slavery and lift it from their shoulders. And, and so it talks about... Um, I'll paraphrase, and we'll find it, and I'll put it on the website or whatever. But the verse, and it may be this one in the, in the NIV, and it says, in that day, the yoke will be broken. That was what they used to put around the ox's neck. And it says, the, ox, the, the yoke will be broken and will be lifted from your shoulders because you have grown so fat. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. How many people doing their bit for Jesus yes. to see that yoke, yoke broken, right? <laughs> But the, the, the term, there we go, found it. Uh, there you go. The yoke will be broken because you've grown so fat. And you go, thank you, Jesus. I'm feeling very encouraged this morning. I came here. He started by talking about insecurity, and now we all feel insecure together. It's great. But see, the translation of that, see, that word fat is about oil. It's about anointing. Other translations say you will, the yoke will be broken. See, because if you were an ox, to be a fat ox meant to be a strong ox. And if you get too strong, then the yoke around your neck doesn't fit anymore, right? It breaks and they have to lift it off. And so there's this idea that the other translations say the yoke will be broken because of the anointing oil, right? So I want to start there and then I want to go back and talk about insecure me. Because as a teenager, I was super insecure. And I had this opportunity to, to move to Blenheim, amen, from Nelson. My dad was over here, and so I came over here. It was that or move to Whangarei with my mother. And have you, I don't know, any non-Christians in this room or Christians willing to admit they're a little bit evil, uh, who have ever seen the movie The New Guy? And he goes to a new school. God bless you. God bless you. Unbelievable. It's this guy who goes to a new school, and uh, he goes, I have a chance to reinvent my character. Right? I was a nerd at the last school. I'm going to a new school. I get to create who I want to be. And so I moved to Blenheim, and I decided that I wanted to try and shake because I was insecure. I didn't like what I saw about me. And so instead, I tried to recreate a persona. And what I would do is I would borrow stories from friends in Nelson that I thought were cool. <laughs> and I would just sort of try them on. Right? Any of you, we're just going through all the movies today. Any of you seen the second Harry Potter movie? 
with Gilderoy Lockhart. And what's he do? He just steals the glory of other people's stories. Right, and so what I used to do, I used to try these stories on. I used to, you know, go, uh, you know, oh, that friend over there, they did this and that, and they got in a fight, and it was really cool. And so I tell these stories. The problem is, when you look like this, and you put that persona on, everybody goes, something, something doesn't add up. Right? And you know, that's right. And I mean, you know, like, I'm not strong now, but then I was like a twig. Like, I wasn't just not strong, I was tiny. And so they really didn't add up. I didn't have arms like to you, you know, it was just... But I used to put these stories on. I used to try them on like, like, like clothes, really, and go, that's who I want to be. And people would just see right through it. And, and so we put... And, and maybe you relate. Maybe you've borrowed a story and gone, that's a really cool one. And I remember telling a story once that was so far-fetched and the person just was like looking at me and like, that's not a true story. And to be called out of my persona... To be called out of what I was putting on was deeply painful, but incredibly healing. See, because my second point, let's go to this other verse. Let's now look at where I wanted to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to tell you a story about David. Many of you know the story of David and Goliath. Maybe you've heard it in popular culture. And so David, he, he, he sizes up this giant, steps up to this giant, takes him out with a sling. But there's this interesting part of the story that we just glance over, Right? And so I want to pick up that story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. And it says this, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me also from this Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And, and, and many of you will know the end of the story, of course. He squares up to him, he takes him on, he wins. And then he then uses the sword to cut his head off because the Bible is not just for children. <laughs> we don't tell that story in Sunday school. We just leave it with the, that bit. It's like he got an owie. And then <clears throat> anyway, I'm just going to hang on. Over a month since I had COVID and I'm still losing my voice. That's probably a God thing. It's like, just shh. <laughs> Here's what I want you to understand. There's a bit of a paradox here. See, David recognized that he could not fill another man's anointing. He could not fill another man's clothes because he understood. He's like, I've not worked with this. He said, all of my training has been in my space. And so some translations say that the armor was literally too big for him, Right? 
David was a shepherd boy, played a harp, probably did ballroom dancing, right? <laughs> Still probably had bigger arms than I do. Um, <laughs> he fought a lion, so he must have had something going for him. But the point is, Saul was head and shoulders above every other man, so he's huge. And so he puts his armor on, and, and much like those personas that I used to put on as a teenager, much like those personas that we try on now, we go, I want to be like that. They don't fit. And see, we started this morning, and this is I, one of my favorite things to do in the Bible is just point out paradoxes to you, things that seem like contradictions but aren't. We started this morning with that scripture that said, you will, the yoke will be broken because you have grown in the anointing, right? So I want to tell you two things this morning that are important if you're taking notes. Number one, you need to grow into your anointing, right? Number two, you will never grow into the anointing of someone else. One, you need to grow in your own anointing. Number two, you will never grow into the anointing of someone else. Right? You ever read the book Cinderella? That, no. <laughs> Seen the movie? Done whatever. <laughs> Heard the story told. And there's a slipper. And it always used to get me. Like, Really? There were no two people in the kingdom that had the same size foot. Like if we passed shoes around here this morning, mine would fit somebody, right? But in the book of Cinderella, it's like, no, 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 this shoe will only fit Cinderella. And see, I believe that's what it's like with God's purpose, God's anointing, God's calling for you, is that there is something that was created to fit you that will not fit anybody else. But one of the reasons we miss it so big time in the church is we spend all of our time trying to wear somebody else's shoes. Right? We spend all of our time, you know, I remember when I got into pastoring, suddenly feeling like I was more secure, but actually discovering I was very insecure still. And looking at all of these people going, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I want to lead like that. I want to speak like that. I want to do that. I want to be like that person. And now you look at all of those people and go, no, I'm good. <laughs> good, because most of them have lost their jobs now and done something like they shouldn't have done. And, and like, I'm good. I'll just be me, right? <laughs> but how often is that? We look up to someone on the stage or we look up to someone in some particular place and we go, I want to be like that. And we try it on. But a bit like Saul's armor, it's a bit big. It doesn't really fit because it wasn't made for you, because it wasn't made for me. And not only that, you know, the more we, cause we try to convince ourselves and we go, no, 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 it'll work. It'll work. Just push my foot in there and just it'll be fine. But if it wasn't made for you, you'll never grow into it. But if it was made for you, it'll fit you like a glove. You'll still have to grow in it, but it'll grow with you, right? See, I believe as the church, we need to lean into finding our own anointings again. I shared in the prayer time this morning that one of the big things... Uh, that I just haven't been able to shake for the last couple of weeks. Wayne Shack, who's the new uh, Director of Finance and Operations for the Baptist Union, he made a statement talking not only about money, but about, and he said, look, here's the reality. The Baptist churches of New Zealand have all of the resources they need to do whatever they want, and the only thing that gets in the way is us. Right? See, when we read the Bible, the Bible says that he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we think, ask, or imagine. Says that he's faithful to finish the work that he's called us to. Says that his word doesn't return to him void. You with me, church? Yeah. Right? 
And yet so often we want to make excuses. Either we don't want to take a risk, but I believe one of the other things that we can do is we're so busy trying to fulfill someone else's anointing that we miss our own, right? We're so busy trying to fit into the shoes of one another, going, I want what they have. I want what they've got. That's why the Bible says, don't covet your neighbor's ass, that donkey, car, Holden, Ford, house, marriage, whatever. Because if you spend all your life trying to do that, you'll miss what God has for you. See, we need to find our own anointing. Let's talk about what anointing is for a moment. Because Maybe that's a foreign word to some of you. Maybe you've heard it uh, used. Oh, that song was so anointed. Uh, anointing simply was the act of sprinkling something with oil to commission it and set it apart for a task. Right? So priests were anointed. Kings were anointed. Saul was anointed as king. Then later David was anointed as king. But not at the same time. They were anointed for a different time and a different season. Right? Not only did they used to anoint priests and kings, they used to anoint Objects. So in the temple, the, the, the basin that you washed in was anointed. It was consecrated. It was set apart. Uh, that, in fact, the Bible says that the first people who were anointed by the Holy Spirit were the builders, were the craftsmen. See, we so often like in our little world uh, to think that you know, the most anointed people are the ones with the longest scarves and the most radical hair who get up and say, I have a word from Jesus. And like the, you know, the more excited they get, you know, and actually get, no, no, no. Jesus says, the first people that I pulled out my, pulled out my anointing on were the tradies. All the tradies in here said amen, surely, right? Who wants to be an anointed tradie? Come on, amen. Right? See, we put all these things on, the, but we got to find our own anointing. Because you can't use someone else's anointing. Because it wasn't made for you. Right? And let me show you that in... <coughs> Acts chapter 19, verse 13 to 17, we read the story of the sons of Sceva. And it says, A group of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. Right? How many people know there's a difference between a prayer and an incantation? Right? Saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, to come out. And it says, And seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried, and an evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who the heck are you? I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city in the name of Lord, the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. So God will still use your mess to glorify his name. But here's the thing. The sons of Sceva were trying to borrow Paul's anointing. Right? Going, we'll just be like him. We've seen what he does and we like it. Let's try it on. And everybody just sees right through it, including the demons in this story. <clears throat> we have to find our own anointing. Uh, last year sometime I preached a a sermon series on spiritual authority. And I talked about how every single one of us has an assignment, every single one of us has a territory, and every single one of us has an authority for that assignment and that territory that all comes from God, right? And we have to be aware of what that is. We have to know the boundaries of that. We have to work within that. Um, otherwise, we end up getting ourselves in trouble, right? How many of you have ever run in very zealous for the Lord and realized that you completely blew the boundaries? Any zealous people here broken boundaries for Jesus? It's not, it's not a good thing. So we have to find our anointing. 
what we were set apart for, what we were created for. And I don't say that like a big pressure statement about like, what's your purpose? Like you have to know your purpose. And if you miss your purpose, you might miss everything because that's terrifying. There's no fear or condemnation or shame in Jesus. It's about an opportunity to go, God, what are you asking me to do? And with that, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because there's something I want us to deeply understand about this. And Paul says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the the Spirit has given us, or spiritual gifts, right? I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along the worshipping speaks of idols. Gosh, we've had the word pagans a lot this morning. (laughs) So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. I want you to hold that because that's important. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability or the anointing to give wise advice. To the, to the other, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge or words of knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. To someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. If he gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another Spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So first, your anointing comes from God. The human body has many parts, but many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Paul's just getting to basics with this right here, right now. He needs us to understand something. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it. Let's pause there. If God has an anointing and a purpose and a calling and a gift that he gives to each one of us, and he has put each part where he wants it, but we all spend all of our time competing for each other's body parts. That's a bad sentence. (laughs) Black market. Livers are worth like 100,000. Come here. (laughs) Right? But if we're all competing for each other's anointing, each other's gift, each other's space, well then God has put each part where he wants it and each part's too busy trying to be the other thing. I remember one of our teachers telling us, I'm not sure if there was any truth to it at all. I'm convinced it was a tall tale. One of the things he was telling us is that swimmers learn to breathe through their ears, right? And so we're we're at school swimming and we're all trying to go, "How how do you... You breathe through, if you spend all your time breathing through, you're trying to breathe through your ears, you'll just stop doing what you were created to do, right? But I feel kind of like, you know, tall tale aside, I feel like that's a bit of a, a picture for the church and God saying, look, listen, my people, it's time to stop trying to breathe through your ears. 
You can spend that. If we want to be ready, if we want to reach out to what God has for us, and God works by us and goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to, oh, what? Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was too busy breathing, right? God has a plan for his church. And in fact, we just heard that, and what I said before and what I'd heard from Wayne, that the All of the resourcing to do what God is calling us to do already exists. I remember David Costa saying this to me when we were looking for elders several years ago. He said this, look, God would not call a church to be planted in Blenheim and then leave it without the personnel and the resources to make it work. So he said, those people that you say you can't see, they're there and you just need to look a little harder. You need to look with your spiritual eyes instead of your worldly eyes. See, if God's called us to this town, he already has the personnel and the resource that we need for it. But see, somewhere along the line, I think maybe what we do is we start to covet someone else's anointing. We say things like, and I realize this is, I realize this is easy to say as the person at the front with the talkie stick, right? Because it's easy to say, you know, I want to preach like that, or I want to sing like that. Or, you know, we put all this emphasis on these very public ministry things. But watch what Paul has to say. Our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. (laughs) Feet for Jesus. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and less important are actually the most necessary. Pause there. Pause there. Because this is, this is important. This is important. Jess can live without a foot. She's managing. She feels way better now that she's got a prosthetic leg because she can get around a bit more. Right? Not many of us can live without a heart. And yet, you know... We, all of our, especially in our material world, we, we are very drawn to the physical things, aren't we? We're very drawn to the visible things. We, we go, oh, you know, and we put all this time into our visible, right? Jesus said this, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's dirty. And so we, we, we put all this effort, all this energy, and all this emphasis in our community on how pretty the outside is. You know, you never sit down with someone and date them and go, I really want to marry. That's not sturdy at all. That, someone did that as a prank. That's fully good. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Nobody ever sits down with someone on a date and says, you know what, I want to be with you for the rest of my life because your organs are just amazing. <laughs> like your kidneys just function like nobody else's. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Pick up lines from the pastor. <laughs> See, so like we, we say to people, I want to marry you because you have such a nice heart. We don't mean this one, right? Like, that'd be weird, eh? You have such a nice heart and I can see it in my fridge. It's like it's... <laughs> Like, it's getting dark really quickly, right? We put all the emphasis on the outside, but Paul says, you can live without a foot. Right? In fact, you could live without a voice. My wife wishes. <laughs> right? But let's, let's take those kidneys and see what's happened. Let's take that heart and see what happens. Let's take those lungs and see what happens that you don't give all the attention and the glory to because the church over so many years spends so much time glorifying what happens in public Can I tell you that if, you know, church, and yeah, we've got these guys, we prayed for these guys this morning, but I want to tell you, if the team up the back didn't turn up, it wouldn't sound any good. And if the people didn't make the morning tea this morning, and if people didn't do the greeting, then you wouldn't feel like part of a family. If you weren't sitting next to someone this morning who was kind, it doesn't matter how good I preach, those aren't the things that keep people in a church, right? 
But we can spend so much time pursuing these things that we perceive or the world puts on as, as these amazing, miraculous things that we can miss the anointing that God created for us. <clears throat> I didn't want to be a preacher. It wasn't my plan. I was going to be a vet. I wanted to try on Jeremy's anointing. His jackets don't fit me. For a whole other reason. But see, if we miss that, and see, watch what Paul says. In fact, some of the parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. See, protect your heart, protect your lungs, protect your, you know. God put a ribcage around them for a reason. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that the extra honor and care is given to those parts who have less dignity. But that's not how we do church. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. When I dislocated my knee, I felt pain in my shoulder. I don't even know why. I mean, you know, the hip bone's connected to the... There's a song. It's all connected, right? But it's... um, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if that part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church, the apostles and prophets and teachers, those who do miracles, gifts of healing, those who can help others, the gift of leadership, unknown languages. It annoys me here that Paul's just listed off all the big top ones in our world again, and that's why we put so much effort onto them. But, you know, one of the things that we're looking for, in fact, no, I'll go there in a minute. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak unknown languages or the ability to interpret them? Of course not. You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Let's pause there. should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Other translations say earnestly desire the best gifts. And here's what I've seen in churches, not this church, but I've seen it in churches and I've seen it in church culture, where we say, we read that verse, earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And then we look at that list that we just looked at before and we go, well, that's them. And then we go, and actually the top ones, the ones that he mentions first, everyone wants to be an apostle or a prophet or a preacher. Nobody wants to have the gifts of helps. Like I remember doing the, if you do the, um, the network course about finding your spiritual gift and it comes up and like people go, you got the gift of helps. And you're like, what does that even mean? Helps. I don't think that's a word. It's, but right. So, but we, and so we get this whole thing. Earnestly desire the most helpful gifts or the best gifts. And so what we start doing is we start competing. We start going, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. And we start doing the opposite of what Dave does. And we start trying to put Saul's armor on. And we all start fighting over his armor. But if God has created a body and placed each thing where He wants then when we miss that, we miss the body being as effective as it could be. And again, I realize it's, it's all well and good to say in our culture that, you know, the guy up with the talkie stick is saying, stop trying to get the talkie stick. I realize what that's like. I'm not trying to do self-preservation here, right? I'm actually trying to say my job is this important in the kingdom of God compared to everything else that Connect does, Right? And so we need to start looking like David for our anointing, our position. See, when you're so busy 
pursuing an anointing made for someone else, you will miss the anointing that God has made for you. And when you don't step into your calling or your anointing, someone else misses out. Right? See, I want, I want you to understand this. Your calling is not for you. My calling is not for me. Like I say, I don't want to be a preacher. I want to be a vet. I'm sure if we can pay salaries. I remember a guy stood out here several years ago, stood on the corner where people were heading to morning tea, and he said, he's just fleecing you for your money. And I went up to him and said, first of all, I was on 30 hours a week at that stage. I went, first of all, that's not true. I could be making a lot more money somewhere else, right? But the point is this. If, if, we, if we want to serve, and like, my calling's not about me. My calling wasn't for me. See, so often we go, oh, well, I know it's not my spiritual gift because it doesn't excite me. Tell that to Jonah. Tell that to Jesus. Right? Tell that to Gideon. Tell that to Esther. Tell that to Noah. Tell that to literally anybody in the Bible. Your calling should excite you. They're like, well, mine didn't. But see, your calling isn't for you. So let me just let me go through these statements again. When you're so busy pursuing an anointing made for someone else, you'll miss the anointing that God has for you. And when you don't step into your calling, someone else misses out because your calling is not just for you, it's for others. See, Jonah's calling wasn't for Jonah, it was for Nineveh, right? Your calling isn't for you, it's for the community. Your calling isn't for connect, it's for the community. Which raises this question, does God have permission to position you for his kingdom? Or would you rather fight over Saul's armor? It's getting quiet in here. (laughs) See, what does it mean to earnestly desire the most helpful gifts or the best gifts or whatever? See, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what it means. See, we've always put this hierarchy on. But let me tell you, if you walk into a community of people that's full of sick people and you go, I have a word of knowledge. All the sick people go, that, you know, I, God has shown me that you are sick. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. I'm here till Sunday. All right? That's not the most helpful gift. If you're in a community of sick people, what's the most helpful gift? Healing. Healing. Right? If you're in a community of people that are lonely, what's the most helpful gift? Hospitality. Right? And go, I can preach good. <laughs> Great. Making fun of myself now. <laughs> See, the most helpful gift is not about me, it's about the community. And I believe this morning that God has a plan for his community. Right? And, and like Wayne said, I believe that all of the resourcing in heaven, all of the resourcing in the church already exists. But I wonder if maybe we're too busy competing for anointing that's not ours. And maybe if we could instead go, you know, you know let, let me get a little bit heavy. Can I get a little bit heavy just for a minute? You know how many people go, I'm not anointed to do children's ministry? Hello? I'm not anointed to do children's ministry. I, I'm an early childhood teacher. I do it five days a week. I don't want to do it on Sunday. I, I get it. I'm not, and I'm not twisting arms here. I under, like, again, if it's not your anointing, don't let me try and put an anointing on you, right? That's really important. 
But what I love is that we, we kind of all go, well, that's not my calling, 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 and then our children miss out. And we go, we're a church that honors every generation as long as I don't have to be involved. Right? Obi's out there this morning telling his story of the time that God saved him from a terrible, what should have been a disaster of a plane accident. He's out there telling his story to the kids. He goes, don't make me teach a lesson, but I can tell my story. See, because we all have a part to play in the body. I realize it got real heavy here for a minute. But I, I just go, how many other things? You know, we've got, we've got community options lining up about our door. We've got REAP asking us to run courses. We've got all these things happening for us. And I go, we wouldn't be, not, now not every opportunity is a good opportunity. You have to learn what to say no to. But some of these things we go, we believe God's calling us into that. Why can't we go? And then you go, oh, we just don't have the resources. No, nope. not true. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Which means God has put everything in his church that we need to do what he's calling us to do. And it's time for us to listen. And here's the other thing. This will, this will really hit you. Let me do this and then I'll wrap it up. I'll, I'll wrap it up. I'll put a nice bow and I'll leave us all feeling encouraged before we go and baptize someone. <clears throat> Otherwise, they'll be like, I baptize. I'm sad. <laughs> Just, see, I think the thing we all dream of as Christians is that verse in the Bible where we stand before the judge at the end of time and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I want that. And, I, and I'm not even shameless. I'm shameless about wanting Like I want to stand before God at the end of time and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. I encouraged our staff the other day because we're all feeling a little bit discouraged with different things. And, he, and I said, here's the thing. If God walked in tomorrow, I'm confident he would say to every single one of you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, there's something I want you to know here. This is the story of Mary and Martha, and I'm going to paraphrase it for time. But see, Jesus comes to the house, and Mary is like sitting at his feet, and Martha's making him a sandwich that he didn't ask for. <laughs> right? She's running around cooking, and she comes in, and she goes, like, why didn't you? Like, why don't you tell Mary to come and help me? He's like, I didn't ask you to make me a sandwich. See, there's something I want you to understand about your anointing. In your assignment, and your territory, when you stand in front of the judge at the, end of the at the end of time, he judges you on your assignment, not someone else's. And so if you get to heaven and go, I did this, 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 this that Jace was supposed to do, he doesn't go, well done, good and faithful servant. Because did you do what I asked you to do? And see, so many of us run around with the ministry of gap filling. Going, I'm working for Jesus. <laughs> Sue has about five assignments that are not only thankless in, thankless in this world, they're thankless in the next world. Because God goes, I didn't ask you to do them. God bless you. I will thank you. We are very grateful. But here's, here's what I know. And see, sometimes, again, we're, we're like Martha, making sandwiches for Jesus that he didn't ask us to make. And we, get, and we go, I'm serving God. I'm serving hard. I'm, serving, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And he said, that's not what I asked you to do. So I'm trying to breathe through your ears. That's what I asked you to do. Oh. Is it, is it, oh. Am I, is, are we okay, church? Are we, we good? I just, I don't want to get too heavy. Um, I, I, yeah, too late, too late. But here's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how often, how often when things get hard, and things get busy. And how many people know life is hard and life is busy at the moment? What's the easiest thing to drop? Your anointing. What's the first thing we drop? Our calling. 
right? The first thing, because we go, well, I have to pay my bills, so I can't drop that. And again, hear me carefully, right? Don't go out and go, I quit my job because my pastor told me to. (laughs) But this is kind of the the preface for the kingdom dream, right? See, so often the first thing we drop is what God called us to pick up. And we carry all these other things. We go, I dropped that because I was too busy. And we kind of wander off and God goes, none of that's what I asked you to carry. I asked you to put all of that down. See, when Jesus said to the fishermen, he said, follow me. And they put down their nets and they followed him. The blind man that we talked about called out, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it says he cast his blanket aside. That blanket was what gave him authority and permission in the community to beg on the side of the road. He threw it away to follow Jesus with hope that it might work. Right? See, so often the first thing we put down is the first thing God told us to pick up. And I, I say that, I don't say that as, a, as like a, I say that as someone who is exactly guilty of the same thing. And we pick up all these things for Jesus. We pick up all these armors for Jesus. And Jesus goes, could you just pick up this, put all that down and pick up the sling that I gave you? Let me tell you, if God has anointed you to raise godly children and that's it, then that's not it. That's the greatest thing you could do. Don't go, oh, I just, I've seen so many people neglect their anointing to raise godly children for the pursuit of a microphone. Right? Or, 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 but equally, if God's calling you to speak and you're running from that like Jonah was, here's, here's what I want to say. You want to know what your anointing is? If you're slightly scared of it, that's a good indication. If you thrive on it and love it and you go, I can't wait, try again. <laughs> See, let, let, me, let, let me put this back this way. Let's finish again on Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. In that day, the burden will be lifted from your shoulders and the yoke from your neck will be broken because you have grown in your anointing. Because you have grown in the anointing God gave you. You want freedom? You'll never find it serving the anointing of somebody else. You want freedom? You'll find it when you grow in your own anointing. And so many of us, we serve. I mean, look, we've seen that. How many people have served in churches and burnt out? Right? And so again, this has to be careful. It's got to be done well. I recently, Hannah Cossey, who's the daughter of Paul Cossey, who's the pastor in Motueka Baptist. She's got dreadlocks and, and she just recently sold her house, moved into a van. She's kind of done what Barb did without the dreadlocks. She had dreadlocks at one point, didn't you? Or braids? Or... There you go. It's prophetic. Um, so let's all buy vans and get our hair dreaded. You first. You first. It's... <laughs> So, but, and she said, because she, she talked about the mortgage and, and the calling that she had from God and all these different things. And look, I own a house. I'm not be- banging on that. I'm, but she made this statement when she felt that God called her into this and went away. She said this, my life is uncomfortable in all the ways that it used to be comfortable. She said, but here's what else I found. My life is comfortable in all of the ways I used to be uncomfortable. See, in all of my life, getting caught up in the slog, competing for the Kiwi dream, trying to buy butter and milk and just get by another day, pay my mortgage, feed my cat, do whatever I was supposed to be doing. My life was uncomfortable. And I left all these things that were comfortable, and now my life is uncomfortable as anything because I'm living in a van. But she goes, but in all the ways that my life was uncomfortable, now it is comfortable. 
And that day, the burden will be lifted from your shoulders. See, look at this as a preface of the series we're going to. I believe that the burden is the Kiwi dream, or whatever you want to call it. The desires of the world, keeping up with the Joneses, the rat race. But I believe the kingdom dream that God has called us to. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm hoping that we can work that out together without having to wear weird dresses and go live on a hill. But I believe that when we all function in our anointing is when church really starts to thrive. And I believe that is when the community starts to transform. And that is worth giving your life for. Amen? Yes. Do we feel good now? We, got, we went from there to there. We don't, I'm, I don't feel sad anymore. I feel moderately hopeful that things could get better. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have given every single person in this room an assignment and a part to play in your body. Lord, your, your word says that in your house there are many rooms. And so, Lord, even maybe people that are here, they've been here for five minutes or they're here for the first time. Maybe they've, they've never, ever, ever considered following a Christian life. And maybe they didn't think that there was room for them in your church. But, Lord, this morning you meet all of us and say, you are part of my body. And I have a role for you and a place for you. Lord, I thank you that your church is built on every part of the body playing its part. It's not built on good preaching. It's not good, built on good music. It's not built on good coffee. It's built on the collective of us all coming together authentically to say, Lord, would you use us? And Lord, this morning, we want to be set free from the burden and the yoke of slavery that feels like the 21st century. And Lord, we don't know what that looks like, but we're certainly starting to get an idea of what it doesn't look like. And so, Father, I pray that you would release us into our callings, that you would release us into our anointings. Lord, that you would help us to see where they are and where they aren't. Lord, that you would help us to listen to counsel from others about where those things are and where they aren't. Lord, we don't find that on our own. We find that in a community. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find, and as we find our fit, Lord, that it would be the most authentic and most freeing experience that we've ever had. Lord, I spent so much of my life competing for an anointing that wasn't mine, pursuing an anointing that wasn't mine, putting on personas, putting on personalities, putting on all these different things. But Lord, when I found your place for me and I found your yoke for me, which your word says my burden is easy and my yoke is light, Lord, I found my security. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are secure in you and in the calling that you have given each one of us. And Lord, that the fruit of that would be that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that the name of Jesus would be shown for what it is, not as one of judgment and anger and oppression, but one of life and freedom and mercy. Lord, that we would be your hands and feet and your lungs and heart and kidneys and mouthpieces and ears and noses and eyes and whatever else you've called us to be. And we would do it with pride knowing that we all serve the same spirit. They might be different gifts, but they all come from the one spirit. And Lord, our desire is to bring glory to your spirit. Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I am further forward than I thought. That's weird. Sometimes you open your eyes and go, whoa. That's... <laughs>